my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict iron jaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That way. Blank is the killer. Ho, 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 and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your rosy-cheeked host, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven splattered onto the end. This episode features reindeer death, evil kids, and fatal families. Hop onto this snowmobile as we try to escape all the bloody murder that's coming this way. Number one, All the Creatures Were Stirring, 2018, directed by Rebecca and David Ian McKendry. Two friends go to a theater on Christmas Eve. They then watch multiple stories. In the first story, an underappreciated janitor sets up a dangerous gift exchange that kills a bunch of people. Only one employee survives. During the next segment, a man meets two girls who trick him into having to watch a demon thing. Before the demon is transferred to him, one girl runs out of a protective circle and is killed by the demon. After this, we get a hilarious retelling of A Christmas Carol in which no one actually dies. Then a guy named Guy hits a reindeer with his car and puts it out of its misery with a rock. Another reindeer then murders him and his lady friend who had no part in the first reindeer's death. Lastly, we watch two people get abducted by strange aliens who study the humans over Christmas dinner before returning them home. In the theater, the two friends then finish watching the play, which is mirroring what they've been doing. The guy might be a demon. The janitor, demon thing, guy, and reindeer are the killers. This is a holiday horror anthology that is an enjoyable time overall. Sure, some of the segments aren't the best, and there is a lot of bad acting, but I didn't hate any of the segments. My least favorite is probably Dash Away All. It's the one with the demon thing that gets attached to people who were born on Christmas. In this segment, a dum-dum locks himself out of his car. He borrows a phone from two girls, and after he calls roadside assistance, he doesn't even tell them where he is. When I was in a short where I pretended to call roadside assistance, I made up a cross street on the spot because it would have been stupid if I didn't say where I was supposed to be. One of the girls tells the guy that it took them three years to find another person born on Christmas. That seemed like a crazy amount of time. Just go on Facebook and start adding everyone you can, or something. The whole segment doesn't make a lot of sense. The demon looks... bad. I didn't dig its terrible looking long fingernails which are used for a throat slash. This is the second throat slash of the anthology. The first happens at the office party. A guy slashes his own throat. I'm so bored of throat slashes. They both look fine, but it's such an uninspired kill to put in your movie. The office part is called The Stockings Were Hung. Chase Williamson is in it. He was also in Beyond the Gate and Sequence Break, which I covered in past episodes. 
He is the first to die after opening a present that was rigged to fire a bullet into the face of the opener. How the janitor knew that present would be open towards the beginning is beyond me, seeing as none of the other presents that are opened instantly kill anyone. You gotta have the insta-kill gift be open first to set the mood. There's a character archetype that's in this that I'm starting to really hate. The archetype is the tough guy that says he'll kill the killer once he gets his hands on them. Sure you will, buddy. The tough guy is awfully acted. It's kinda crazy how fast everyone turns on each other. I'm pretty sure there is another killer in this segment, but I'm not 100% sure someone killed someone else. Jocelyn Donahue is also in the office segment. She was the main girl in another movie I covered called The House of the Devil. My favorite segment ended up being the Christmas Carol ripoff all through the house. Why? Because of Jonathan Kite's performance. He plays the Scrooge douchebag character. His delivery is incredible. I found this to be the funniest segment of the bunch. Sure, there is some spotty CGI used to decompose a body, and the ghosts don't look all that incredible, but this segment had more charm than all the others put together. I'd watch a feature-length comedy starring Jonathan Kite. All Through the House is not a scary segment. Well, none of them are. But it does technically have spooky ghosts. The other segment I enjoyed a lot was In a Twinkling, which featured the aliens. It's got its funny moments, and I really liked how it was black and white, with only some items being in color. The twitchiness of the aliens is great. The only segment I haven't mentioned yet is Arose Such a Clatter. It's dumb and has the reindeer. The reindeers are literally stuffed animals, which I found humorous, but the segment doesn't lean into being ridiculous enough to make the whole thing great. There is some decent gore splattered throughout the entire anthology. The gunshot from the present is done well, and even though I'm bored to death of throat slashes, both were well executed. The framing device being the weird theater play is unique and interesting. I really like the concept. I hated the part at the end of the framing where the guy's face briefly turned into a craptacular CGI demon face, but other than that, it worked. Even though some segments and all the creatures were stirring aren't the strongest, it's an enjoyable watch. Give it a shot if you're in the mood for a fun holiday horror anthology. Number 2, The Children, 2008, directed by Tom Shanklin. Teenage Casey, her mother Elaine, her stepfather Jonah, and her younger siblings Miranda and Polly go to spend Christmas with Elaine's sister Chloe, her husband Robbie, and their two kids Nikki and Leah. Polly is the first kid to show symptoms of an illness. Miranda, Nikki, and Leah also get infected. The infected children start killing the adults. They kill Robbie, Polly tries to kill Casey, but Elaine saves her which ends up killing Polly. Everyone is freaking out. Jonah blames Casey for everything and drives off with Miranda. Leah and Nikki kill Chloe and try to kill Elaine and Casey. Casey kills Nikki in self-defense. Elaine and Casey escape and drive away. They find the car Jonah took off in crashed into a tree. Jonah is dying in the snow after being thrown through the windshield. Casey gets out of the car to investigate. Miranda pops up, whom Elaine hits with the car to save Casey. A bunch of kids pop up. Casey shows symptoms of being infected, but Elaine lets her into the car. Casey appears to be infected. The children are the killers. This is the second movie entitled The Children that has been featured on this podcast. 
The first being from 1980. How does the children from 2008 compare to the hilarious, deadly hug fest that is the one from the 80s? The children 2008 is unfortunately not as hilarious. Before I confuse everyone, this isn't a remake of the 80s movie. The concept is similar. Kids get infected and start a killing. But unlike in the older movie, the children in the 2008 version use more sinister means to shed their victims of their mortal coils. These more gruesome kills are fun to see, but there aren't that many kills, which heavily impacts the pacing of the movie. We only see three characters die on screen. It's implied the stepdad dies, but we only get a quick glimpse of him chilling in the snow after being thrown through the windshield. He appears to be alive at that point. I guess most of the kills are barely on screen. We cut away right before the uncle sleds face first into one of those pointy three-pronged gardening tools. We also cut away when the ant gets stabbed in the eye. The object used for eye stabbing doesn't seem all that long, so she shouldn't have instantly died from the eye shank. Even though we shy away from a bunch of the kills, the gore that is shown is great. The uncle's partially scalped head, ant's eye stab, Elaine's bone protruding out broken leg, and the weird doll implanted into the uncle's stomach are all done practically and well done. Pet warning, the children kill a cat. We don't know exactly which one did it since the kitty killing isn't shown. This pet death won't really disturb anyone. When you have a movie where kids are being taken out in self-defense, you have a lot of room for some hilarious child disposal. Normally in movies, you never kill off the kids. So does the children take advantage of this and dispatch the kids in great comedic fashion? Not really. Two of the kids, Peter and Nikki, practically die in the same manner in which they are pulled down onto sharp jagged pieces of broken windows and doors. The funniest way a kid is taken out is definitely when Elaine hits Miranda with a car. Miranda flies into the back of another vehicle, splats on the back windshield, and then comically slides down with that perfect sliding down glass sound effect. Even though this movie has some fun gore in it, the kills are few and far between, which means this movie drags in multiple spots. At one point we find out that Casey survived an attempted abortion. She has one of the ugliest tattoos I've ever seen on her stomach commemorating her survival. It's a fetus with angel wings attached to her belly button with an umbilical cord. Her creepy uncle that's been trying to hit that tells Casey he thinks it's cool. There are some amazing lines of dialogue from Casey. Not only does she call her friend a baby raper, she says the best line of dialogue in the whole movie. I'm so sad I could fart. Maybe that's a common British saying or something, but I've never heard it. The acting isn't great, but it's fine. It's weird that Jonah shows no emotion after finding out his son is dead, but other than that, the acting is passable. There are some instances where images are annoyingly flashed on screen, which I absolutely hated. That seemed to be a big trend in the 2000s. The Children is far from amazing, but it's entertaining enough for a watch with some drinks and friends. Number 3, Saint, or Sint, 2010, directed by Dick Moss. On December 5th, 1492, Sinterklaas and his gang loot and murder in a seaside town. 
The townspeople are fed up with this, so they kill Sinterklaas and his gang. From then on, Sinterklaas and his gang come back whenever there is a full moon on December 5th. We see them come back in 1968 and kill a ton of people, including a kid named Gort's family. We are then in 2010. Again, Sinterklaas pops up with his gang. They kill a bunch of people. Goert warned the police about this, but they didn't listen to him. Everything is covered up, and some of the deaths are pinned on Goert, who died trying to save the day. The undead Sinterklaas and his gang are the killers. Sint is a Dutch film that starts off incredibly promising. The first half is packed with practical gore. Swords, axes, pitchforks, and Sinterklaas' staff are all used for amazing kills. One of my favorite kills is when Sinterklaas uses his staff that has a sharp-edged S on the top to cut off a guy's head. He basically hooks it around the unfortunate soul's neck, then makes it do a full spin around the victim's head to perfectly release said head from its shoulders. If Sint would have kept its focus on all these creative kills and shown the Sinterklaas gang going door to door murdering people and stealing children, Sint would be highly recommended. Unfortunately, half of the movie follows Gort and a teen. The teen is Frank. His ex-girlfriend Sophie is murdered by the Klaus gang. A little later, Frank and his chums are attacked. Frank's friends are decimated by the gang. During this attack, Frank was dressed as Sinterklaas and his pals were done up as Black Peter. Yeah, there's this strange slave vibe regarding Sinterklaas' gang of so-called helpers. I did a little research and originally thought Black Peter was a nickname given to the character due to him being covered in soot from crawling around in chimneys, but he's called Black Peter because he was a Moor from Spain. Oh, and the kidnapped children, Sinterklaas takes them to Spain. I don't know why, that's just what the movie told me. So Frank's friends who are in blackface are murdered by the undead Sinterklaas gang. Since people are saying they saw Sinterklaas at the crime scenes, Frank is arrested. Goert saves Frank from certain death after a horse falls on the police car that Frank was being transported in. I forgot to mention, one of the undead members of the gang is a white horse. There's a ridiculous segment where Sinterklaas is riding the horse all over rooftops, trying to evade the police, which uses some bad CGI, which I don't completely mind given how absurd the segment is. The chase ends after cops shoot the horse as it's jumping from one rooftop to another across the street. The bullet causes the horse to fall through a roof, break a floor, and slide out of the building onto the cop car, which crushes and kills the cops in the front seats. Don't worry, the horse is undead. Goert saving Frank is the exact moment where this movie begins its descent into the depths of boredom. After this point, a ton of time is wasted showing Goert and Frank hanging out on a boat. Goert plans on blowing up Sinterklaas' ghost pirate ship to put an end to these murderous full moon December fists. Well, it's not technically a pirate ship, but you know what I mean. The pirate ship does explode, but the movie ends with a still undead Sinterklaas 
looking at the audience as if to say he's going to murder us next. So Girl Art totally failed and died for nothing. Which also means we spent all that time watching Gort trying to stop the moon massacres for nothing. The most boring scenes in the movie are completely pointless. There's a character named Lisa who is friends with Sophie and basically Frank's new girlfriend. I thought she was going to have a bigger part in this movie, but she's only there to find Sophie's body and give Frank his present at the end of the film. Frank sucks, I hated his character, why it was decided that we'd spend the entire second half of the film with the worst characters, Gort and Frank, I have no idea. Gort shooting a present that was left on his work desk multiple times is not funny enough to include his character in the movie. Since it's established that only fire can hurt the Klaus gang, why not have someone fight them with a flaming sword or some other ridiculous fiery weapon? A briefly used flamethrower and a boat filled with explosives are not all that entertaining. For some reason, there's a loud background ringing sound during multiple scenes. It's a minor thing to bring up, but it ended up being pretty distracting. The acting is good enough, and like I already mentioned, the gore is fantastic. As a whole movie, I can't recommend Scent. It has some greatness in it, but the pacing of the second half is dreadful. See if you can watch some highlights on YouTube or something. Number 4. Whoever Slew Auntie Rue 1971, directed by Curtis Harrington Two orphans, Katie and Christopher, sneak into a diner at a rich lady named Aunt Rue's mansion. Aunt Rue's daughter died years earlier in a tragic banister slide accident. Aunt Rue kidnaps Katie, who is willing to be kidnapped. Christopher tries to get her back, but gets kidnapped too. Christopher then burns Aunt Rue alive since he thinks she's going to try to eat them like the witch in Hansel and Gretel. Aunt Rue was making the orphans dinner and had no plans to eat them. A slippery banister and Christopher are the killers. Whoever slew Auntie Rue, more like whoever decided to make a movie with such a hair-thin plot this long. For a movie that's an hour and a half, nothing happens in this. It's somewhat of a tradition for my family to watch Jingle All the Way on Christmas Eve due to it being undoubtedly the best holiday movie of all time. This year I brought up the idea of us skipping it and instead watching a holiday horror movie. Tradition is tradition, so I ended up sitting through the double feature of Jingle All the Way and Whoever Slew Auntie Rue. Obviously, I had a great time watching the former, but was almost bored to death during the latter. I was hanging out in a bar with my parents on Christmas Eve Eve, and for some reason they brought up whoever slew Auntie Rue. I don't really remember why. I looked at the movie poster online and decided, sure, why not? I needed to watch more holiday horror movies anyway. How bad could whoever slew Auntie Rue be? I mean, it's not that bad, it's just painfully boring. I guess that means it is in fact pretty bad. It tricks you into thinking it's going to be good by starting off with Auntie Rue singing a song to the corpse of her dead daughter in a creepy room filled with some of the most unsettling dolls I've ever seen. Dang, what a crazy early reveal. 
a reveal, if you will. If it's revealed that Aunt Rue hangs out with her daughter's literal corpse as if it were a life-size doll, I can't wait to see what the other reveals are. What? That's the big reveal? We started with that, though. There's a bloody meat cleaver on the movie poster. I mean bloody as in literally bloody. Well, at least there has to be a killer that's taking people out with a meat cleaver. Huh? You're kidding. The only person that dies is Annie Rue and she dies in a fire? Well, to be fair, we get a flashback of the daughter's demise, which is absolutely hilarious. Let me go over the high points of whoever slew Auntie Rue. The best part of the movie by far is when Aunt Rue's daughter tries to slide down a banister and inexplicably ends up catching some serious airtime. The daughter totally beasts the landing and dies instantly. We even get some fake blood coming out of her nose to signify that she's totally dead. That's all the gore we get in this. Aunt Rue smacks Christopher with a log which is funny and a bunch of kids have some of the ugliest haircuts I've ever seen. Like, put bowl cuts to shame bad. The only other parts that are decent involve the corpse daughter. We get the spooky reveal right from the get-go, and then later on Aunt Rue is playing with the corpse, as she does, and accidentally crushes the face which is kinda horrifying and hilarious at the same time. Welp, that's all the good stuff in the movie. The acting is bad, the plot is bad, Aunt Rue basically adopts two poor orphans, Sure, she's keeping them locked up for a bit, but as soon as everything cools down with the police searching for the kids, they'll be able to enjoy the giant mansion and all the food they could ever want. Why Christopher is so against this, I'll never know. For some reason he thinks Aunt Rue is a witch hell-bent on eating the kids, which couldn't be further from the truth. Fables are destroying children's minds and turning them into murderers! I'm pretty sure Christopher even saw the old daughter's corpse, so he knows that Aunt Rue didn't eat her. Do not waste your time with whoever slew Auntie Rue. It's painfully boring. I don't feel too bad bad-mouthing this movie, which my parents recommended, because my mom bailed on watching it and my dad fell asleep during our viewing. It's disappointing to realize, but everyone has seen a movie when they were young, that ends up being terrible once they see it again when they're older. Number 5, Santa's Slay, 2005, directed by David Steinman. Satan's son, Santa, has to stop killing people and be nice to them instead for 1,000 years after he loses a bet with an angel. It's been a thousand years since the bet, so Santa is back to his murderous ways. A boy named Nicholas has a grandfather that everyone thinks is crazy. Grandpa prepared for Santa's return. Nicholas and his girlfriend Mary tried to hide from Santa's wrath at Grandpa's house. But Santa shows up and kills Grandpa. The kids run and Grandpa comes back in his angel form to save them. He's the angel from the bet. The kids then run some more and Mary's dad blows up Santa's hell deer and sled with a bazooka. The day is saved. Santa boards a flight back to the North Pole, defeated. Santa, his hell reindeer, and a bartender at Gold Diggers are the killers. Santa attacks a strip club called Gold Diggers. While there, he throws a bouncer towards the bar, and the bartender who was cutting limes stabs him. It looks accidental, 
but the bartender did the stabbing. He didn't have to catch the bouncer with the knife. Santa's Sleigh is a very dumb movie, but also a very entertaining one. It starts with some noticeable stars. Fran Drescher, Chris Catan, Rebecca Gayhart, James Ken, and two others I don't recognize are having a Christmas dinner when all of a sudden Santa dives through the chimney, pet warning kicks the dog into a fan, which flings the pup into a wall, then Santa murders all the big name stars in the first five minutes. This had me worried. Fran Drescher is already dead? I thought she was going to be a big part in this movie. Luckily, the Santa Rampage continues throughout the correctly titled Santa's Sleigh and is a lot of fun. The acting in this movie is terrible. The worst of the bunch is Douglas Smith, who plays Nicholas. His delivery is absolutely abysmal. Scenes that heavily focus on Nicholas kinda drag, but we get a ton of Santa which makes up for us having to deal with Mr. Lamepants. Santa is played by Bill Goldberg, who I don't really rem- wait a minute. Goldberg? I remember that guy. He was kind of a knockoff of Stone Cold Steve Austin. I never was a big wrestling fan, but I remember who Goldberg is, kind of. He's great in this, campy but great. He looks a lot better with the hair and full beard. Way more badass. The kills department is where this movie shines. So many things are used as weapons. The star off the top of a Christmas tree is used as a throwing star. A turkey leg is used to choke someone to death. A Christmas wreath is used for strangling. A guy is pinned to a wall with a menorah. Presents literally blow off two kids' heads. A stripper pole is used as both a staff and a conductor. These kills are the reason to watch Santa's sleigh. They don't disappoint. The kills are creative and look pretty good. They are cheesy in the best possible way. Santa's sleigh is filled with dumb little jokes that I found amusing. My favorite bit is when Santa goes to a deli, sees it's closed, punches through the glass door, flips the closed sign to open, and then kicks open the door. Adding in the little sign flip really made the scene. Now, I know what all of you are wondering. How exactly did Santa kill Grandpa? Well, he obviously ran him over with his reindeer. Grandpa got run over by a hell deer, trying to protect his grandson Christmas Day. I'm not sure if I really love this movie, or if most of the other holiday horror movies I watched this season were so bad that Santa's sleigh is incredible by comparison. It's probably the latter, but I can say that I recommend Santa's sleigh. It isn't some amazing masterpiece, but it's a very entertaining movie that you can put on your nice list of holiday horror movies. Sometimes all I want to do is turn off my brain and enjoy some mindless murder by Santa. Number 6, Blood Tracks, 1985, directed by Matt Helge Olsen as Mike Jackson. A mother kills her abusive husband in self-defense. She then runs off with her children. Years later, a rock band and film crew go to Colorado to film a music video. Multiple avalanches happen. There's a factory nearby where the mother took her kids. The family looks like monsters now and start killing everyone they can. One of the sons tries to be reasonable, but ends up getting his hand shot off. The remaining crew members are rescued by a helicopter. The grotesque-looking family are the killers. 
For a movie that starts with a hair metal band going up into snowy mountains to film a music video, there isn't a lot of screen time given to the band. We only really spend time with them when they are banging chicks. So I'm not sure why they even bothered including the band. It's not like the music video they're making would be any good anyway. At least we get a banger of a song from them called Blood Tracks. I wish they played it more. For most of the movie, we focus on the boring crew. In the crew, there are multiple girls that look the same and multiple guys that look the same. This makes everything confusing. Blood Tracks isn't an easy to find film, so the quality of the stream I watched wasn't great, which definitely made it even more confusing. So you have a movie where a weird mutant looking family should be murdering a hair metal band out in the snow in hilarious ways, but Blood Tracks is a movie where a mutant looking family murders crew members in a dull factory. Well the family at least has a good reason for murdering all these random crew members, right? Like the crew members killed their mom or something, right? Nope. The mom's still alive. They are killing people for no reason. Sure, the people are wandering into the abandoned factory the family inhabits, but the family doesn't tell the intruders to leave or give them any warning before the murdering begins. Eventually, we're told they are killing the crew because some of the women in the music video were dressing all provocatively. But the family mostly kills the characters that were in the crew and weren't being all slutty like the rock stars and girls in the music video were. The movie tries to make you sympathize with the family, but I couldn't sympathize with these murderous monsters at all. My favorite character in the movie is Carrie. She's the hardest worker in the crew. She does makeup and other odd jobs. I thought Carrie had a good chance at being the final girl. She gets kidnapped by the family, but escapes. I was rooting for her all the way up to her untimely demise at the behest of some random jagged object she ends up falling on. R.I.P. Carrie and the movie because after this point there is no character that I care about. Carrie dies about halfway through the movie and after her death, boredom fully took over. I appreciate the practical gore in this movie, but most of the kills are uninspired and hard to see. One kill is unique, albeit confusing. It involves a girl named Lisa who's tied up. Some barrels that are attached to a wire are dropped, and I believe this makes the wire cut her in half, but due to how it's shot, I'm not sure what the hell happened there. The design for the family is laughable. They look ridiculous. They have been living in an abandoned factory. They haven't been bathing in acid. Why do they look all burned and boily? The acting in this is super, super bad. The movie is Swedish in origin. I'm not sure what that means exactly for Blood Tracks production. Unfortunately, I couldn't find out much information regarding the film. I'm not sure if some of the actors' deliveries were abysmal because they were Swedish and barely spoke English, or because they just sucked at acting. The delivery is obviously hilarious, but the laughable dialogue isn't enough to carry the film. During the end of the movie, a character shouts, just get us the hell out of here, which is what I thought to myself during the halfway point of my viewing. I would love to recommend Blood Tracks. Unfortunately, this movie isn't as advertised. Blood Tracks is not a fun hair metal horror movie. It's a boring slog about an ugly jerk family that kills innocent people in boring ways for no reason. Don't waste your time with Blood Tracks. 
Oh, the band in the movie is called Easy Action and featured a guitarist from the band Europe. Yeah, I know. Who cares? I think I'll be checking out some more hair metal horror movies in the future, which will hopefully be more fun. Number 7, You Are the Maniac, 2012, designed by Todd Wachowski. This is a board game, er, I guess it's technically a card game since there isn't a board where you and your friends are the maniacs who score points by murdering fodder, athletes, suspects, bimbos, and final girls over the course of three rounds which are framed as movies. There's a kill spot that you have to get the victim you want to kill into by using cards that move the various victims around. When you kill them, you can play a weapon and or a mask card to add style and points to your score. This sounds kind of familiar. If you're familiar with board games, you might have realized that You Are the Maniac is basically a reskin of another game called Guillotine. I've played a few rounds of Guillotine and have now played a few rounds of You Are the Maniac and I have to say, I like You Are the Maniac more. I find the theme to be way more fun and really like the added final girl mechanic. The final girls really shake up how you play the game. One thing I find a little strange in You Are the Maniac are plot twist cards. Plot twist cards have to be drawn when you are taking out final girls or other high point victims. You'd think that these plot twist cards would negatively affect the player drawing them since you normally get them when you are getting a bunch of points. Well, a high percentage of the plot twist cards I saw during games of You Are the Maniac had positive effects. It's really strange that there isn't a downside when trying to murder the highest point victims. You basically want to get the plot twist cards. The art is interesting. It looks like the characters are pictures of crappy 3D models for some of the portraits and decently drawn characters for others. It's weird. I despise some of the art on some of the cards, but I like the design overall. One thing that I appreciate is the fact that not all of the bimbos in this game are girls. They also include male bimbos, which is an archetype that needs more representation in horror movies. I don't have a ton to babble about, but it's been some time since I covered something game related. I got You Are the Maniac as a gift, and I recommend playing it if you get the chance. The theme makes for fun gameplay. There's nothing better than sitting down with some friends and family and seeing who can murder the most people for points. Put a fork in episode 35, it's done. These last two holiday horror episodes have been rather tough on me. Who knew that most holiday horror movies are absolute garbage? I hope you listeners were able to find enjoyment from the pain some of these movies put me through. If you want to give me a late seasonal gift as thanks, why not rate and or review Blank is the Killer on iTunes? You have no idea how much I'd appreciate it. As always, thanks to Sticker Fridge for hosting the podcast on their website. Blank is the Killer will be back on January 13th with some horror movies I've been excited to watch. Next episode will hopefully be jam-packed with strong recommendations. Fingers crossed. Until then... Make sure to board up your chimney to keep all the terrible holiday horror away. Don't light a fire after boarding it up though, unless you trapped Annie Rue inside and she confirms that she will in fact murder you if she gets out alive.